Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 143. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. If you want to make more money, have a management team that gets you results, and want to get your life back, the restaurantexpert.com is here to help. To learn more, call 1-877-457-6278, extension 1, or visit them at therestaurantexpert.com. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Robert Fleming. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Every day, brother man. <laughs> awesome. Let me just give a quick aerial view of who you are and what you're all about, then I'll pass it over to you to learn more. So, Chef Robert Fleming is an old-school restaurant pro who came up in the business starting at the age of 14 in Chicago, Illinois. With a dual degree in culinary arts and hospitality management, Robert has worked for some of the best in the hospitality business. His Chicago experience, in addition to working in memorable San Antonio restaurants, left him with a love for comfort food, which is well served, that few in this industry can claim. Today, he is the executive chef and proprietor at Magnolia Pancake House in San Antonio, and man, you're just killing it. Uh, let me pass it over to you now, but before we get your big picture, before you tell your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote. Chef, do you have a good one for us today? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, think of it this way. If you're standing still, you're falling behind. And if you're coasting, you're going downhill. (laughs) Oh man, I love it. And like, what is it about that quote that really just gets you fired up? Well, I mean, it's just, it just says it all. If you're standing still everybody's passing you by. Mm-hmm. And if you're coasting, everybody's passing you by. That's so true. So you, you have to stay out ahead of the curve all the time to be successful in this business. You I, just have to. It really reminds me of that quote from, I can't remember, it's one of the race car drivers, but I'm sure it will come to me eventually. But he says, you know, if you're, if you're going, if you have control, you're not going fast enough. And it was Mario Andretti who said that. And I think there's a lot of similarities with those two quotes, and I love that quote. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm fired up now. That's great stuff. Um, so now tell us a little bit about you, chef. Like when did you know that this was more than just a job for you? I mean, you started young and like, was there an experience you had as a young guy that, you know, just kind of made you know, this was going to be the industry for you. You know, I, it came when I was, I had started working in restaurants when I was 14 years old as a dishwasher for a cousin of my mother and progressed through the ranks, Greek, Greek steakhouses in Chicago. That's where I really uh, kind of got indoctrinated into the business. And uh, when I was going to college down here in San Antonio, I found myself working more uh, in the cafeteria, in the dining hall, uh, as a cook, and lost time in the classroom. And uh, the guy who was the food service director was a, kind of a mentor of mine, and he said, hey, man, you've got a real talent for this, and you might want to think about going to culinary school because you're kind of wasting your time here. Mm. Wait, and what, I was like, you know, that's what, right. I probably am. <laughs> what was it that was like your talent, would you say, back then when you were looking back? Did he, was he specific about what you were doing and you know, what it was about you that made you so right for the industry? 
I, I just I enjoyed cooking. I learned from my mom when I was like nine years old, mm-hmm. and I just enjoyed I just enjoyed cooking. And I remember something my mother told me when I was a kid. She said when she taught me to cook, she said, "If you learn to cook, you'll never be without a job, and you'll never go hungry." And you want to know what? She was right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Both, on both counts. Yeah, and you're definitely doing pretty well. So always listen to mom. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. Though, I mean, a lot of people they'll just go one way or the other, and they'll focus on the back of the house or the front of the house, but it looks like you were smart to really get that, you know, aerial, aerial view of both sides with both degrees. I mean, was there any strategy behind that? Well, no, another, there was an influence of another mentor over the years that, you know, he was a guy, he was a, uh, an instructor of mine at Harper, uh, Harper college in Chicago, where I went to culinary school. And he said, you know, if you want a really well-rounded career, you need to learn both the front and the back of the house. He says, you'll do real well in the back of the house. But, you know, this was back in the 70s, bro, and and our profession was not celebrated on any level. We were just <laughs> a bunch of sweaty dogs in the back churning it out, you know. And he said, if you uh, if you really want the real success in this business, you need to learn the front of the house. And, and so I uh, found myself with an opportunity to do that, and, and I did that as well. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I love the stress you're putting on the mentors in your life because, I mean, really that's the whole purpose of this podcast is to surround people as mentors, not directly, but just through listening to these stories and the advice. I mean, we can pick up little pieces of knowledge just from listening to those people like you and those who came before you who just know what they're talking about. And if they could do it again, they would do it again, but they can do it you know, vicariously through people like I'm sure you give people advice, like do it this way. Like if I could change anything, this is what I would do differently. And we can learn so much just from listening to people like you have. Oh yeah, I lo- you know I I, I lo- I'm flattered when 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 folks ask me for for gu- advice or guidance, uh, and I love to share uh, I love to share my experiences. Uh, but I also really revel in watching a lot of these young guys, this new generation of guys. And here in San Antonio, we have some immensely talented cats, and I just really enjoy seeing these guys come up in the business and and earn their chops and really create some successes for themselves and see them setting themselves up for a long term successful career. And I think. That's really, really enjoyable. Yeah, well, you're about to get super flattered because I have a whole list of questions for you. Uh, <laughs> and I can't wait to get your advice. And, uh, I mean, we kind of got the big picture. I just kind of want to wrap up a little bit by talking about, I mean, your experience. Because you worked on the hotel side. You worked on the restaurant side. You also yep. had some franchise experience and the Indian yep. experience. So, I mean, how did all this experience, you know, getting from where you were to where you are today kind of mold you as a professional? Well, you know, when you get exposure to so many different wheelhouses and you see how guys, uh, uh, you know, run, and that guy's is non-gender specific because I've had female bosses along mm-hmm. the way as well. You know, but when you see guys run their specific action, there's always takeaways. There's positive takeaways, and there's also negative takeaways. I mean, some of the best lessons I've learned were working for guys. When I walked out, you know, when I, when I left that job to go on the next one, I said, I am never doing what that guy did because <laughs> I saw the, I saw, you saw the detrimental impact of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and so there were good things. I worked for a guy in Minnesota running a Sheraton hotel uh, up there, and the guy beat me like a rented mule, uh, you know, but he took care of me in the end, Mm -hmm. and I learned a lot, and I probably learned more about the business of hospitality from that one five-year stint with that guy than almost anybody else, Mm -hmm. and that really learning about how the business of hospitality works really set me up for the success I'm enjoying today because whatever whatever segment of our business you're in, 
you know, a lot of people go into it because they love to cook or they love to love the front of the house action. But really, at the end of the day, especially when you're an independent like me, you're in the cash flow business, man. I mean, I happen to use, you know, eggs and sugar and butter and flour and pork to generate my cash flow. Some guys might use rice and beans and uh, tortillas, and some people might use, uh, you know, wrenches and, and oil and, and manual labor to, to make their cash flow happen. But at the end of the day, that's how we, that's how we grease the machine called life. Mm. You know, m- money don't buy happiness, but it can, it can certainly solve a whole lot of problems. And it greases that machine that we call life, you know, and, and so you need to have those takeaways from every place you go. And those experiences, Eric, you know, you can lose it all. But no one, no one can ever take those experiences from you. And, and that education you get on the street, over the stove, at the dishwasher, at the host stand, those lessons, those lessons are, are priceless. You couldn't put a value on those, and no school can ever teach that to you. But having said that, you need that background, that academic background, to be able to appreciate those experiences and to process them uh, into an MO that works for you. Man, there's already so much just wisdom and great advice you're dropping on us early in this interview. And I think we're going to get some of those stories and some of those experiences that you had uh, in this interview. But before we tap into some of those stories, I want to find out, Robert, I mean, what are some of your it factors? If you could narrow it down to just a few of the habits or characteristics you possess that you think most contribute to your success, what would they be? Um, I think the uh, the fact that I don't don't take no for an answer. Mm. Um, you know, uh, if if I have if I have worked through the process in my mind, there's no way that you know when I take it out to the marketplace to get whatever it is I need to see it to fruition that somebody can say no geez no we can't do that I'm like no 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 here's how we can do this I've worked through this already you know come over to the dark side with me brother because I've worked through the process I think the other thing is is consistency I am huge on consistency and not just you know, uh, I mean, in every facet of my business and, and in every facet of my life, I, you know, now that I'm not saying that I'm boring or that, you know, I eat meatloaf every Tuesday and green beans every Thursday. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, people know that if I tell them I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm consistent that way. Here in the restaurants, our associate teams, they know that we're consistent in the way we manage them, that we're consistent in the way that we prepare and serve the food, that we're consistent in the food that we buy. We're consistent in the, in the way that we manage and direct our teams so that, that people know, and our guests know that too. They know that over 15 years now, the experience they get when they come through the doors will always be the same. Now, let me say this. We're an excellent restaurant. We pursue excellence. We never pursue perfection because perfection, I believe, is unattainable, but excellence is something we can all agree on. Mm-hmm. And so we pursue that excellence, and the guests recognize our pursuit of excellence, and we're committed to that every single day, and that we're consistent in the way that we get there, and that's how we get to excellence because we do the same things the same way every single day, and we and and we're very proud that we do it with a whole lot of the same people over over all these years. I love it. I mean, just to reflect on some of the things you've said, um, you know, the excellence. I think Tom Thomas Keller says it best. You know, once you get to or, you know, perfection, then you're always striving to make it just a little bit more perfect. So, but that, you know, explanation of excellence is, you know, we can all agree on excellence. I love how you put it that way. And how much of an influence do you think your time at uh, some of these franchises kind of uh, made you see the importance in consistency? 
Oh, well, you know, that's, that's why people buy a franchise mm-hmm. is to get those systems and those systems that keep the, keep the activities consistent and provide guidance to people. And, you know, for some people, being in a franchise system is, is, a, is a perfect fit for them because they thrive within a, a systemized culture uh, that way. Mm-hmm. For others like myself, I, you know, I, I'm, I've always been kind of a, a, a solo flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, not, I've never had a partner in business, save for my wife, um, and uh, I, I like that because I'm able to uh, make decisions quickly. I'm able to assess the information with my teams and make a decision quickly, and I don't have have layers of hierarchy to go to mm-hmm. go through. But that being said, that what I learned from franchise being involved in franchise is the importance of brand, mm-hmm. the importance of communicating what your brand is and what the brand standard is, and having those standards and communicating those standards to the teams across all the levels so that everybody is on board with what the standard is and what the anticipated outcome is. Mm-hmm. So that if we don't get to the anticipated outcome, we either go back and look at the systems and the standards and where we failed them, not where they failed us, because that's typically how it works. I love it. It's all awesome stuff. And I think, you know, for people who are passionate, who want to get into the indie side of things, it's a great experience just to go work for a franchise as a manager to see how structure can, you know, influence the final product. And I think we can all learn from that. And I think you're kind of a good example of that. Um, but I'm also curious, or I want to talk quickly just about how powerful it is. You say you do not settle for, or what'd you say? Don't take no for an answer. Um, I think it's really powerful. Sometimes people see things and they say, no way that's not, you know, obtainable. But some of the, the trends I've seen in this industry, some of the, you know, really successful people look at anything and say, just ask, how is this possible? Don't say it's not possible because as soon as you say it's not possible, your mind shuts off. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, when I say I don't take no for an answer, you know, I'm, I'm not stupid either. I mean, I realize at some point I'm going to get to something where no is going to be the final answer, and that's usually when you run into things that, you know, the government won't allow you to do. Um, but the market typically will, you know, allow you to find a way to work through your problem. Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to be tenacious, and you have to not give up, and you have to have a vision for what it's going to look like when it's all done mm-hmm. because that's how you know that the no you get is not is not the final one because I have this vision and I've worked through this process in my brain and I'm thinking about it constantly. I mean, it, it's a constant uh, it's a constant loop in my brain when I get into a project, when I get into a, something that I want to achieve and I've worked through the vision and now I have it and now I'm thinking about what it's going to look like when it's all done. And that's that's part of what motivates me to not take that no for an answer because I know where I'm going. And and unfortunately in our business days, a lot of folks don't have and especially once they, when they get into it in those early years, they really haven't formed a vision for what their, what their uh, outcome is going to look like when they get there. And therefore, quite frankly, sometimes they never know. And because they don't have that clear goal in mind and they don't have that, that defined vision of what it's all going to look like, they're never able to get there because you need to have that to form your map, to form your plan, you know, how you're going to get there. Awesome. I love it. And I mean, I'm going to go ahead and just write visioning as one of your additional it factors because it's so important. And I mean, it's, it's one of those seven habits from Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, you know, having the end in mind, where did you learn about the significance of visioning and how important that is? You know, that really is something that came to me about 
10 years ago, uh, really, uh, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, I'd always kind of, you know, had goals and, and was, as was, you know, as I went, came up through the ranks and management ranks and we went through goal setting and, you know, working through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, I've been through all the different kind of schools of, of thought on, on how to manage and how to goal set and how to be accountable and all that stuff. But, uh, actually it was when I read, uh, the E-Myth by Gerber mm. that, all of that really wrapped up into this thing that I now call the vision. You have to have the vision for your success. Awesome. And uh, it was after reading Gerber that it really all was the aha moment. And, you know, that was, and that was when I was like 50 years old. And, and you know, sometimes those things don't come to you till you get, you, you've been kicked in the ass by life <laughs> enough, you know, uh, to to know the, to know where all the where all the uh, all the potholes in the road are, and you, you start to things start to come together. All the things that you've been thinking about, the things you've observed, the things that you've read of, that people have told you, all of those you you put those in a big old gumbo pot, and you know you get in your forties and your fifties, and things really start. You get that clarity of where where it is and where you want to go. Mm, I love it. And I think we're going to touch on that book, The E-Myth, a little bit more. When I ask you about books you recommend, I'd love to hear more about that. But now we need to find a story or a time where one of these if factors of not taking no for an answer, having consistency in everything you do in that pursuit of excellence, or maybe even a time where you know your visioning helped you. Like Bring us to a moment where one of these if factors, tell us a story where this really shined through. Well, you know, I think it was about, 10, 12 years ago, and I had a customer uh, come in, and, and we were only, at that point, like three years old, but we were, you know, already known for this consistent quality product, and they came in, they said, you know, I got to tell you, we go to these other, you know, franchise breakfast places around town, and, and they're nowhere near as busy as you, but the staff is all running around like a chicken with their head cut off, and they don't, uh, no one seems to be having any fun, and it seems terribly disorganized, and we come here, and you're on, at that time, a 45-minute wait, and the food's coming out of the kitchen, and it's always the same, and your people are happy, they're smiling, they're laughing. And, you know, it was really at that point that I realized that that focus on the consistency, the consistent guest experience is was going to make, make us successful. Uh, you know, it, it just people, and I also realized at that same time, uh, Eric, that what I was selling, I mean, yes, it was hospitality, it was breakfast and pancakes, but what I was really selling was I was selling confidence, mm. you know? People were confident that when they came in the front door, yes, they were confident there was going to be a wait on a Saturday or a Sunday, but they knew that we would handle that wait appropriately, that the food would come out quickly, it would be exactly what they ordered and exactly the same as they had it the last few times they were in, and that our team would take good care of them, and they'd have a great experience. And that confidence, they can then go out and tell the friends, oh, you've got to go to the Magnolia Pancake House. The place is the greatest place. You have to go there. You know, how many times do we recommend restaurants to say, well, oh, geez, you know, I don't think go there, don't go there on Tuesday because when chef's off on Tuesday, it's really not, it's mm. not bad, but it's not the same, yep. you know. And, and that, I think, is, is one of those things that happens in our business where, uh, you know, then people, if they go out and recommend, and you go on Tuesday night, sounds so very good, and say, geez, what was Eric talking about? That place wasn't all that good. And see, that not only diminishes their confidence in the restaurant, but it diminishes their confidence in you, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I want I want people to be confident. I want to make my customers confident that when they recommend me, their friends are going to have their confidence in the recommendation they got from their friend. 
all amazing stuff you're sharing with us today. And I just want to ask, how did that make you feel, Chef, when this person approached you and had all these great things to say about how you were running your business? I mean, what was that like? It was like all of the fights that I had with my superiors over the previous 15 years confirmed to me that I was absolutely right in everything I was I believed all those years ago. I was in the hotel business for a long time, cutthroat business, focused on numbers, and I kept saying, we're, we're taking the wrong approach here. We have to focus on the guests. We have to focus on the associates. Mm-hmm. Man, if we focus on those two, we'll have great hotels that are providing incredible hospitality. But they were more focused on the labor cost, on the minutes per occupied room, on, the, on, on all these other financial measurement metrics that really were were about how much was in it for them, mm-hmm. not what was in it for the guests, not what was in it for the associate. You know, I've always been of the, the opinion that I take care of the guests, I take care of the associates, and guess what? I'm going to get mine in the end. Mm-hmm. So it was like pure vindication for me that that philosophy that I've had for so long that was being suppressed by the corporate world was exactly the right philosophy and was going to was going to yield the result I was looking for. And do you take a moment to like stop and just like you know bask in that moment and just to like those little milestones I feel like it's those those are the things we really work for when we get those recognitions. I mean, did you I, obviously it struck a you know, core with you? Yeah, it did, but in the moment, it's, it's like it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. You get that little, you get that little body rush, and then all of a sudden, somebody says, "Hey, they need you in the kitchen," <laughs> or "Hey, the toilet's overflowing," or "Hey, you got a phone call." So you know, you, you take those moments, you take that the, the good feeling really quickly, but you also know that you know uh, you'll need to save it because there'll be that time when it's the end of the week, the end of the day, and you're sitting there with a cold one, and uh, you're you're thinking about it, you're saying, "Damn, that felt really good." Yeah. You told it that was really something that's awesome. special. I love it. So that was a great story of how your consistency really contributed to your success. But now we get to tap into a story, Chef, where you just fell hard on your ass with a failure and tell us what, you know, that failure was, take us through the experience and then, you know, wrap it up by telling us like what you learned from that experience. Well, when I was, uh, my first restaurant, which was 30 years ago, um, my wife and I opened a restaurant with the assistance of her adopted grandfather. Actually, they kind of conspired to put me in the restaurant business and I ended up getting canned from the job I had, which was a, which was a good job as a general manager of a, of a fine dining restaurant. But uh, they both thought I should have my own place. And so they conspired and we took out a bank loan and uh, we opened a restaurant and, you know, I was 31, 31 years old, and I thought I, I sure as hell thought I knew everything about the restaurant because, damn, I'd been doing it since I was, you know, 14 years old working in restaurants. And I, I mean, I knew how to run a shift, you know. I uh, didn't know a whole lot about running a restaurant, but uh, the business of a restaurant. But I mean, we knew how to make the food and get the doors open and take care of the customers and all that. But it was a critical success, but it was an economic failure. And after four years, the IRS walked in and said, oh, by the way, you haven't been making those 941 deposits here for a couple of years. We've seized your bank accounts. Mm. And uh, 
uh, you know, it was one of those things as a struggling restaurateur, you're not quite hitting the number, uh, and, and it comes down to, do I make that 941 deposit or do I take and pay, uh, the utility bill to keep the lights open so I can try to make the money to pay that 941 deposit? Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, you know, and it all came tumbling down after four years, two months after our, our only child was born. And it was like, you know, I finally realized at that point, oh crap, the first rule holds is when you're in one, stop digging. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I, and I had to go out and get a job, and that was a hard transition because, you know, four years of being your own boss, doing your own thing, it, you know, and you're like 31 years old, and you think you you think you got the world by the, the shorts, you're you know you're 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 kind of resentful when you go in to work for somebody else, you know, and it took me a while to get over that. I mean, how to, uh, how did to, it feel? to let that failure go? How did it feel? It felt like, like an absolute get... failure. Mm. You know, I mean, it was an absolute, here I was, married like three years, had my first baby, and I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even provide for a roof over the head of my family. Mm-hmm. I, I really felt like a failure. I felt like I, you know, I had let everybody down, mostly myself. Uh, what was your but, initial you know, instinct, though, once you got this failure? Like, I mean, most people will just give up, but it sounds like you, you know, you just look to the future. Like you saw what, where you were headed and you knew you couldn't continue going down that road, digging deeper, like you said, but yeah, right. You, you no, I had to, I had to go out and get a job. I went out and got a job, man. Cause I, I had, I had to pay the bills. I had a family to take care of. You know, I, there wasn't, there wasn't anybody there who was going to take and bail my ass out. And I, the only person who could bail my, my ass out was me. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so that's what I set about to do. And I, we're here in San Antonio. It's 1988. I found a job in Minnesota. Yeah, they said can you be here in two weeks. I'm like hell yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother gave us a credit card for gas and her old her eight or nine year old Plymouth station wagon. And I mean, when they say we, you didn't have a pot to piss in, Eric, literally, we did not have a pot to piss in because everything was repossessed at the restaurant. <laughs> so, you know, wow. uh, but it, it's those experiences, though. It, it, you know, you can go one way or the other. You can be a victim and you can say, oh, well, it was because of this or it was because of that. It was because of the other thing. Or you can look yourself in the mirror and say, it was because. I didn't know it all, and I missed something, and so I need to get up off my ass and go out and learn some more stuff and come back and try it again. And and my wife had, and I had always talked about that. We had always talked about we would like to have our own restaurant again, but let's wait till our child's a little older, you know, and and that's how we got on the path. So I spent at that point then from 88 to 98, that 10-year that stretch, I was in the hotel business and worked as a general manager, a food and beverage director, and then uh, finally as a regional vice president of operations for a large uh, hotel group out of Dallas, Texas. And I was had 15 hotels by that time wow. traveling across the country, man. But, you know, that's the thing is that if, if failure is the best lesson there is out there. Never be afraid to fail. Never, because if you don't fail, that means you did not try. And then if you didn't try, then you're going to spend years later saying, oh, man, I should have tried that thing, you know? I mean, I've got friends who have great ideas. You know, they're they're idea guys. And I'm saying, dude, you would make some money if you would just pursue the idea. Mm -hmm. But they just enjoy the idea of having ideas, but they don't (laughs) want to do the hard work of bringing them to bringing them to fruition, you know, and, and, and knowing that, you know, if you're lucky, one out of 100 succeeds. But you know what? When that one hits, you know, it can change your life. I just wrote down some key words here as you were talking, some things that just really stood out to me. Uh, 
you know, accountability. So many people, when they come to that failure, they point fingers, but it sounds like you just owned it. And I think that's really important to own it and to move forward and to have that buoyancy is the other word I worked down. Like, you know, to not get down, but to keep your eyes to the future and be optimistic. And, you know, you have all these new lessons now that you learned that you're going to be able to use when you try the second time around and just, um, you know, just so much was there. And I just want to ask if you could summarize in like one sentence, I mean, I think we took away, you know, what you've learned, but what would you say your biggest failure was? Like if you could do it all over, like, what was it? Oh man. You know, Eric, I have to be honest with you. I I don't dwell on that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the restaurant was a business failure, but it wasn't a failure of, of me personally. It wasn't a failure of my values or who I am. And, and I don't, I don't focus on that. I mean, you, you have to own your failures, and you have to learn from them, mm-hmm. and you have to know what to repeat and what not to repeat. But I, I don't really dwell on those. You know, life is life is a journey, mm-hmm. and you're never going to have just one failure. You know, you're, if you're out there living life, uh, you're going to have many of them, some large, some small, and you process through them all, and you just. You know, you just get on up and get on down the road and keep going. Because yeah. if you're going to spend your time being a victim, blaming everybody, you're never going to get ahead because you're going to use all your energy doing that. Mm-hmm. Chef, you're giving us some great content. We're really getting to know you. You're really opening up and just sharing these amazing experiences with us. And it's great, but I have to move into the knowledge bombs where you're just going to drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us. It's going to be a speed round. Are you ready? Sure, let's do it. All right, we just got to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. And we'll be back with some more incredible mentorship. Do any of these challenges sound familiar? Out-of-control food costs, bleeding labor costs, entitled management, unmotivated employees. If you answered yes to any of these challenges, therestaurantexpert.com is here to help. TheRestaurantExpert.com is the creator of Smart Systems Pro, an online restaurant management solution that gives you power and the flexibility to run virtually every aspect of your restaurant. To learn more, call them at 1-877-457-6278 at extension 1 or visit them online at TheRestaurantExpert.com. If you want to gain control of your restaurant, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Again, it's therestaurantexpert.com. All right. The first question I have for you, Chef, is what advice do you have for getting that initial capital to get started? Well, you need to make sure that you've got your own financial house in order. Uh, If you you owe everybody and their brother money, uh, and the bank ain't going to lend you money, guess what? Nobody else is either. So first and foremost, get your own financial house in order. And what's your best advice for getting started and going down that road? Uh, you know, don't spend money you don't got. Don't think that credit cards uh, are something that uh, is easy money. Uh, you know, pay your bills. Live on, live, live like no one else, so that you can live like no one else, as Dave Ramsey likes to say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and get your house in order. You need to be really, if you're going to start a restaurant these days, you best have enough cash of your own after whatever you're going to put into business to pay your bills. I mean, you to keep the rent or your mortgage paid, the lights paid, and some food in your tummy for probably a year. I mean, really. Uh, otherwise, the pressure is on then to make the thing profitable, and you have to give it time to organically grow. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. And a great book, guys, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Guy Kawasaki that kind of talks about how to look at money and how to be financially independent and successful. Worth reading there. Oh, absolutely. A great read. Yeah. Uh, and also, oh, we're going to talk about books later. Yeah, so I'll, yes. I'll stop this then. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. What advice do you have for hiring good people? Like, how do you do it? Where are you looking? What tools are you using? You know, I mean, I, I really hear I hire uh, for a Zen fit. I know that sounds kind of uh, mystic to some people because uh, some will say, well, I, want, I only want to hire experienced waiters. Well, you know, if they're going to come in there cooks or dishwashers, if they're going to come in the door to apply for a job in a place that's kind of well-known like mine, they've got some experience. And a lot of it I can teach if they have the right attitude and they have the right approach and so it's a zen fit because we've built these successful teams that i want to be sure that the people we're bringing in are they fit they fit our culture they fit who we are and they'll work and play well with others uh to boil it down to kindergarten speak Mm -hmm. uh and so that's what i look for i look for people who who are going to be a good fit for us and uh then the experience part comes after that are there any tools you're looking i mean i was doing some research before this interview and i saw that you were on people matter com is that yep. a tool that you sign up for or what's yeah that's a tool that we that's a tool that we use we've we've found it to be very helpful in the uh, onboarding process and the training process uh recruitment you know that's kind of that's kind of local and gorilla these mm. days you know there's there's all kinds of wage pressure all kinds of talent wars uh I, i'm sure that there'll be people listening to this who have probably just had their best guy poached for a dollar an hour more mm-hmm. uh you know so those kind of things, those factors there, you have to really go out and create an atmosphere that that people, the superstars, want to be part of. Yeah. If you want to be, you know, that it's it's all about what you, the owner operator, create in your own place, uh, and and that kind of zen that that will get you the good people, and then they'll recommend the other superstars yeah. that they've worked with because you got to remember. This, you know, typically ain't their first job, so yeah. they've worked with other people, and, and they'll be happy to bring them with if they're happy there. I love it. Yeah, that's so true. That power of attraction can be so powerful. And you kind of started talking about, like, you know, leading into the next question as far as creating that culture to work for. But, I mean, what's your advice when you find these great people? How do you keep them on your team? Well, I think that I think that there's a, a couple of things that you have to get to before you can get to the point where you can attract them and keep them. You've got to define your mission, you've got to define your vision, and you've got to define your core values. And once you have those and you share them with your associate teams and you make the decision that I'm going to manage to those to those things. If whatever we're doing, if whatever problem we have, if it doesn't comport with the mission, the vision, the values, then it's probably not worth focusing on and we're not really addressing the true problem. So you have to have that. Once you've got that and you've got that culture established in your in your organization, then it's important that you communicate that. You communicate it through the vision. You communicate it through the values. And you communicate it just by talking with your staff, by sitting and visiting with them, talking with them, laughing with them, and, and, and building that engagement. Engagement, mm-hmm. that they feel connected to you as the owner, as the leader, um, uh, to to be part of what you're doing. Chef, I have a, a question kind of to spin off that topic of, you know, how important it is to create that mission, that vision, those core values. What if you're somebody who just got hired as a manager and it's not your restaurant, you're not the general manager, but you, you're doing the research and you know how important these things are, but there isn't anything established. I mean, how does somebody create those with, you know, at the manager level? 
Sure. Um, you know, really, I just had a conversation with a guy last night who was a multi-unit operator and is at a function, and they were working on this exact issue about how to spread their culture into their seven restaurants. And and as I was saying then, he, I said then I said really, yeah, you'll work on your executive team and get there by, but it's the restaurant unit managers because they interface with those associates mm-hmm. every single day. So if you're in a restaurant and and you you know that your culture isn't right, but you want to to have this culture of excellence, you first and foremost start with yourself. Make sure that what you're doing is is pursuing that excellence, mm-hmm. that we're holding our teams accountable for their act- actions and activities, and that we're making sure that we're meeting or exceeding the guest expectations. And you start there, and then you take and identify those people that are what I call my culture kingpins. Those are the ones that have been around for a while. They buy in. They embody, what, and they're what we here call magnolians. I mean, they embody <laughs> what we are. And you, you start to identify those, and and you and you engage with them, and you ask them to help be that culture ambassador for the rest of the team and for the new folks that happen to come in, uh, so that you get them on on board and you get that that associate buy-in, which is so critical. And then, as a manager, you'll be able to continue to manage that way in a consistent manner that that the other you know, rules apply equitably across the board for everybody doesn't matter if you're here 15 years or you're here 15 days the, you know the the way we operate is the way we operate and and so everybody is held to account for that mm-hmm. and if you do that your unit will start to perform better than other units. Mm. And what does that do for you? Well, that raises your profile within your organization. Mm. And it also you know, helps you to to solidify in your mind those values that are important to you that make you the leader of a great team. Awesome. Wow. All great stuff. Thank you for diving a little bit deeper in that for us. Um, now we're going to talk about those books we kept on putting up. And I can't Yeah. It uh, sounds like you are an extremely well-read individual, and I can't uh, wait to hear what you have to share with us. Oh gosh, uh, stop me when I get too long. <laughs> but there's a couple. There's a couple. We talked about the E Myth, and if you're going into business for yourself, you really should read the E Myth because Gerber really laid out uh, out out about it that way. And a companion book that's just out recently, and I'm going to put a little plug in, written by a friend of mine. It's called, and you can get it on Amazon. It's called Hunting in a Farmer's World. And typically people who go into business for themselves are hunters. We go out, we eat what we kill. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole other segment of our society that are more farmers. I mean, they tend to the, they tend to the fields, they, they, make, they tend to the systems, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a great read, to, especially if you're a person who is an A-type and you you're want to be a business owner or you are a business owner, you need to understand how what your personality type fits in with others. Uh, so I think that's a great, uh, a great read. Uh, John Maxwell's uh, 21 Laws of Leadership is uh, my Bible. Um, I have it sitting here in my office. I have it on my, uh, on my tablet. Uh, I read it. Uh, I reread it. I reread it again. And, of course, I, I, I highly recommend any lecture by John Maxwell. You can find him on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, he's a great writer on leadership. I think Dave Ramsey, known mostly as a financial guru, uh, wrote a great book on leadership called Entree Leadership, and I, I think that's a great read there. Uh, I read that book, and the one takeaway from Entree Leadership was every day you keep a person in a job they're not suited for is a day you're doing a service to them because there is a job out there that they're better suited for 
but they probably won't go after if you keep them on your team, even though they're not suited to your team. So sometimes we don't let people go because we say, oh, I, got, I, got a, I, don't, I don't have a guy. I understand that. That's a physical thing, but really when you're trying to build these teams and this culture, you need to recognize when you need to cut ties. So I think that's a great book. And the other one that I'm, I just finished not too long ago is a book called Crucial Conversations. Um, and, you know, in our business, we have to have so much one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And, you know, really, if you're not good at it, it will it, it'll burn you bad. You, you know, I think more often than not in our business, we have situations where we're just not really skilled communicators. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not able to understand people's needs uh, and, and then tailor conversations that are productive that way. So those are, those are three great reads that, that I just love. And I think uh, Good to Great and Built to Last were two other great titles, too, that, that uh, I, I, I truly believe in. Awesome. I mean, and I just want to make an example of you, Robert, because they say you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with, right? And when you are someone like Chef Robert Fleming, who just surrounds himself with these people through books, I mean, you have the ability to surround yourself with industry greats like Ramsey, like uh, Gerber from the E-Myth, and like all these incredible minds, and get influenced from these minds, and it, today it's easier than ever to reach out and just pick up a book. And with audiobooks especially, you can just hit play and just listen to all these great minds, share with you what it takes, how to be, act, what you need to do in your life just to be great. And um, I, mean, I think you're just living proof of that, Chef. Well, it's very kind of you to say that, Eric. You know, it's it, you know, brother man, life is a journey. You know, and every day, every day is a is a, a new leg of the journey. And you know, you you take what you've learned from the past and you apply it to the future, and you just keep motoring on down the road, man. And you know, I I I, I just can't stress that enough. Is that you know, take every day, seize every day, and and be accountable for yourself every single day. Awesome, I love it. And we're gonna get to the next question i always say this is going to be a 45 minute interview but it always goes a little bit longer because i mean it's so hard to stop people when they're on a tear and you chef are on one so the next question i have for you is uh on the topic of marketing i mean if you could just give us one marketing bomb of knowledge what would it be be sure to communicate be sure to clearly communicate who you are and what you do mm. you know, what's the significance in that well, you can't be everything to everybody, brother. I mean, you know, the thing is, is especially in the restaurant business, you need to clearly communicate what you are and what people can expect when they come in the door. And the better you do that and the more consistently you do that, the better the result's going to be. I love it. And it reminds me of one of my past guests, Sam Lewinton. Lewinton. Uh, the last name is getting away from me. Awesome guest. And he said, here I am, here I remain. And I think one of the most important, crucial things in that is knowing who you are. Because you have to, like you said, you, know, you have to be yourself, know who you are, know what you're doing. But who are you? And be yourself. Because it's no easier to be yourself than, or it's way easier to be yourself than anything else. Right. And you have to be, you know, and you have to be yourself as a genuine person and you have to be yourself as a business concern. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I, so many times I talk to young entrepreneurs wanting to get in the business. I say, well, tell me about your concept. Well, we're going to be just like so-and-so or we're kind of like so-and-so or we're, we're, we're going to have a menu like this place. And I'm like, no, nah, that's the wrong, that's the wrong approach. You're never, you're never going to make it. Mm -hmm. You need to be you. You need to define what it is you're going to do and what are the key points of what you're going to do. And you need to go be you. Don't be somebody else. Don't worry about them. Be, won't worry about you.
I love it. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that, Chef. Um, so let's talk a little bit about technology. And really, the way I look at technology is you're taking um, a system, a process, a procedure that's already been put out there, that's already been tested, and you're plugging it into your restaurant. So are there any technologies that you've recently plugged into your restaurant to be more profitable, to be more systematized? Uh, and can you share that with us, whether it's back or front? Yeah, we actually, actually, this is how old school I am. Uh, we just recently adopted hot schedule here oh, okay. in, in the restaurant. And I know they've been around for a while, and people probably to say, geez, you are a dinosaur, old man. But um, it was one of those things that, you know, I, I had known about it for years. Uh, it didn't seem like it was a, a necessary function, um, but we found that it streamlined, uh, you know, uh, people getting their information and being able to have that information where they needed it, whether it's on a phone, on a tablet, by email, whatever. Uh, we also, about three years ago, um, adopted No Weight as our weightless management system. And then in the last year, we actually engaged with their uh, remote login app so that our guests can now sign in from home, put their name on the wait list from home, and know how long the wait's going to be so they don't really have to come here and wait for a table. Uh, it has its pluses and minuses, but uh, the guests, I know the guests enjoy having that uh, opportunity and that ability, and so that is, is good. Um, you know, we're decidedly old school in the food and the way we, we cook, but we embrace all the technology that's out there. Uh, we're looking into tableside payment. You know, we've got this whole credit card PCI compliant issue with the new chip cards coming down the line. Uh, we're old school that way. We, we run a cashier, but 60% of our business is credit cards and can be settled at the table, which then cuts down on the traffic and that, that station up there that can get crowded because the hostess is in the same area. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, look to, we look to find ways to use technology to improve what we're doing and how we do it and how we deliver uh, the experience to the guests. Yeah, and I love how you use the example of um, hot schedules to lead. And a lot of times people, they don't justify some of these technologies because they look at the price tag and they're just thinking that's 50 or 100. You know, I'm thinking hot schedules is probably on average, depending on how big your restaurant is, $50 um, a month. And I think no way it's right around 120 But the thing is, like, you're not losing that money. You're gaining so much when you plug in these systems because there's less holes, you know, less money's leaking out, more more butts are in seats. Your guests and your staff are happier when that communication's there, especially with hot schedules, like knowing what your schedule is. When you do all these things, like I mean where I guess I should ask you, like, where do you make the money back up and why is it worth the investment? Well, you make um, in the in hot schedules. I think you make the money back up because you're better engaged with your associate teams. Uh, you're able to track your labor costs uh, on theoreticals versus actuals a whole lot closer than if you're and with a lot less time. So any any time that my management team doesn't need to be sitting and taking things from paper schedules and putting them into an Excel spreadsheet or into QuickBooks or something of that nature, that means that they that's more time they have to work with the associates to engage the guest to make sure the guest is getting a great experience. In the case of no wait, uh, where, how do I make, how does that help my, help my bottom line? People have absolute confidence that the, that the wait list is being managed equitably and accurately. And if we tell them it's 45 minutes, it's going to be 45 minutes or less. They're not going to wait 52 or an hour and five. And so that just helps us keep customers engaged and waiting for that table so that, that we can then get them in and give them the experience that they came for. Exactly. You know, the other, uh, I mean, we, you know, our POS systems, we constantly, every three years, we'll go through 
upgrade hardware or operating systems. And of course, we we get the updates from PositTouch uh, along the way. But I I, I upgrade hardware too uh, because uh, the hardware is as much a component as the software. And you know, we don't want to be running five versions ago of the software because that's all the the you know the box on the on the uh, not no, you know, the station will run. I mean, if there's newest, latest, and greatest, I want that because there's information that comes out of there too. I mean, you look at these these POS systems, and you know, you, you really need to manage your menus by managing your menu mix and understanding your your item sales trends and know what's selling, what's not. You know how it impacts your food cost, where you actually even have opportunity to raise price because things are so popular that you can get a little more incremental revenue out of out of certain. Things and if you know what's selling and and you know what the turns are on it, you can manage your action a whole lot better. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me what you're saying. Uh, it goes back to the E myth that whole um, the what's the first one? Uh, it's quantification and orchestration. But the first one is help me out. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. You know, we'll but you got to know your numbers. You yeah. got to know your numbers. It's um, that, that's real. I mean, I guess that's you know. The quantification and, and the qualification, as it were, you, 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 so you have to know your numbers. You have to know, you know, because we all go through things and we think, oh, you know, that that item's a dog or it doesn't make me any money or, or something. And then if you start actually looking at it and you engineer up that menu and you track those item sales trends, you'll see that you know that that thing is actually selling like a house of fire, and it, you know it it does pretty good. But I could probably get a couple more cents out of it, you know, if I tweak it a little yeah. bit, you know. And I don't mean tweak it like cut the portion or or, or the quality I'm talking about tweet it like I might be able to get another twenty five or forty five cents out of that thing and and it doesn't cross a psychological barrier for the guest and it's you know within the uh, within the parameters of what the market is charging for similar items and so you know I might as well price out like everybody else you know that that all, always leads me into a whole nother conversation that restaurant owners are the most hesitant to raise prices I don't know how many times on different forums I see oh well you know I don't want to raise my price because you know the, the other guy is cheaper than me, and this and that, or or I'll be more expensive than the other guy. And I'm like, you know, don't worry about the other guy. Raise your price. Make sure the quality is there, and, and it'll never be an issue. You know, I, I have. I used to be that always very intimidated about raising prices. And about 15 years ago, I was just like, you know what? You got to raise the price. You got to raise the price. And it's always better. And I learned this one from another mentor back <laughs> in the day. Always nice. better to raise the price than to lower the quality or the portion size. Absolutely. You know? And uh, man, how many times do people think that? You know, energy, your passion is so contagious right now. You have me getting all fired up, man. I love it. Uh, just sharing gold with us. Uh, so we've reached a part of the interview where I want to ask you. I mean, if you could go back in time, Chef, to you know, 30 years ago when you had that first you know failure we we're, we we're talking about, and if you could give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be, and why? Pay pay the U.S. government the taxes. And why? Because they'll shut you down. <laughs> I mean, you know, Eric, that is the single biggest reason that, that entrepreneurs fail in the restaurant business today, is that they those 941 taxes, you know, they get away from them. And if you miss a quarter, you're probably not going to be able to make, make it up, and you're, you're already on the road to uh, closing your doors. It might take, it might take a longer time, but you gotta pay, you gotta pay those taxes. And that was the biggest mistake I made back in the day. 
I mean, that was the biggest mistake. Would it be safe to say just to put a percentage away, every dollar you make, just put that percentage away? Like, what percentage would you use? Yeah. Well, when I'm talking about the taxes, I'm not talking about my income taxes. The 941s, that's the that's the Social Security and the, and the federal withholding, you know. And if you're running your own payroll uh, and you're a startup, you're probably more concerned. You're looking at those paychecks that you cut okay. the net. And that it, the the money that you owe the government, uh, both on the FICA contribution and on the withholdings, that's the stuff that gets away from people. And you have to make that deposit every quarter. And the way that I got around that, I mean, the way that I worked through that this time is, I I just decided I was going to use a PEO. You know, when back in the day they used to call it staff leasing, but it's called a PEO, Professional Employers Org. And you know, they work with us as a co-employer, so they make all those deposits. I pay weekly. I write them the check. For the gross amount, which includes all of my all of my contribution on the FICA, uh, and of course I'm also able to get my workers' comp done on a pay-go basis that way. And so, you know what? I sleep at night because my taxes are paid, and the government's never going to knock on my door mm-hmm. saying you didn't pay us. Our vig, you you know, Tony Soprano of the IRS is not going to be at my door anytime <laughs> soon. Awesome advice. Thank you for sharing that. And if there was one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview, what would it have been? Wow. You know, I don't think there is one. I mean, I liked all the questions you asked, <laughs> and I think you. we touched on a lot of stuff. And, you know, but like everything else, we could go on for probably another hour because this is such a multifaceted industry. But I think that really we hit on on all of the, the really the basic points, you know, of what it really takes to be successful and, and, to, and to maintain that success. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, well, it's time to wrap it up. You've been incredible. We wrap it up by having you call somebody out. That's how I found you. Uh, Jim Laub of RestaurantOwner.com called you out, and I'm happy he did. You were great but who is one indie restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great guest on the show you know i come from a large family my youngest brother who's 10 years younger than me is a chef as well started working for me when he was about 14 years old his name is tom Fleming. he i taught him everything i know and then he went out and became an incredibly great chef even better than me and he owns a restaurant in dallas texas called the crossroads diner and he has a long history in the city of Dallas. He's probably one of the top three guys in Dallas. Right. And you ought, to, you, you ought to give him a call. Chef Tom, Tom Fleming. Fleming. Cross, Crossroads Diner. Yes, sir. Look out. I am coming after you. Uh, and, Chef, thank you so much. Uh, let the folks at home know how we can connect with you, maybe an email or a Twitter handle. Uh, maybe they want to come work for you. If they're in San Antonio, they're inspired, they're pumped up, and they want you to be their mentor. How can we connect? Yeah, our Twitter is uh, our, our Twitter is at Mr. Pancake, and uh, you can find us on the web at magnoliapancake.com. And you know, if you're interested, and come out, you know, you can come on in and talk to us. We'd love to uh, to talk to you and see if uh, there's not a Zen fit for you here. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You've been so awesome. There's no qu- questioning. You are unstoppable. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Very high praise, my friend. Cheers. Another episode smashed, crushed, destroyed in the bags here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Robert Fleming owning this episode. Awesome. I mean, some of the things that really stood out to me is his advice to get that experience, to to go out there and work in different aspects of the industry, to learn the front of house and the back of house, and to surround yourself with mentors, uh, to to listen to those mentors. They, They went through it. They know. 
Um, and just just that that value is so significant to me because of what this podcast is all about. The purpose of these interviews is to surround ourselves with these incredible minds, these incredible mentors who can tell us, you know, shine a light on that path to success and uh, all st- you know incredible stuff. And another thing too. I can't remember how many books he mentioned. I think it was like five or six books he suggested. It's so important to invest in yourself with knowledge. And these books are the best way you can do it. And today it's easier than ever to absorb information, especially with audiobooks. And you can get a free audiobook, guys, going to www.audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Uh, just try it out. It's free. It's a free book. You won't regret it. (laughs) All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. If you can think of a guest that would make a great mentor on the show, give me a little email. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'm always looking for those emails. Or just shoot me an email with an idea or a problem you're having. Maybe I can get an expert on the show to discuss your issue. But first, you have to reach out. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Eric Cacciatore. Uh, Don't be afraid. I'm always looking. Don't be shy. I need your suggestions. I'm here for you. So until next time, peace out.